Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour of the tough week for tech. NASDAQ down more than 4.5%. It's raising all sorts of questions about the growth trade. As you know, rising interest rates, a big story. Our investment committee here with me today, as always, to debate what happens from here. Joining me for the hour, John Najarian, Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington, managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. Kerry Firestone is CEO of Arias Asset Management. And Amy Raskin is the chief investment officer of the Chevy Chase Trust. Welcome, everybody. Good to see all of you. Let's take a look at the wall. Well, NASDAQ is suffering through its worst week since October, and today it's been up, down, all around. Today, right now, at least for this moment, the NASDAQ is up by 171 points. The good thing is you guys are all over this because there are so many different positions that you have or moves that you're making that are so relevant to what's going on. Amy, I'm going to come to you first because the selling has really been focused and really has shown up in in that growth trade. The Teladocs of the world and the Rokus and the Squares and Pelotons, Splunks and Shopify's. You have trimmed Teladoc and Fiverr. Teladoc's down 27% week to date. Fiverr's down 17% week to date. Take me through that moves and then we'll move on to some others. Sure. Um, So we have been anticipating this growth sell-off for a little while and have been taking profits in some of our big winners. Um, Last year, we were fortunate enough to have uh, six over over half a dozen stocks in our portfolio up over 100 percent. We run a relatively concentrated portfolio, so that helped us a lot. Um, It was a good year. But PEs have been inversely correlated with bond yields. We benefited from that as bond yields were declining, um, as bond yields started to rise, we got nervous and we started taking profits in some of these big winners, um, just prudent portfolio management. We don't think that's over yet. So we're still um, continuing to trim on up days and strong days like today. Um, and at some point we will be buyers again. These are core holdings for us. We believe in the long-term positions, but near term, it's hard to find valuation support for some of these very big winners like Fiverr up over 700% last year. Um, Intelli is another name that uh, up over 400% that we've been trimming. We like it a lot. We believe in the company long-term, just prudent portfolio management. Okay, so what I really wanna know now is from you, uh, Bryn, you bought the ARC Innovation Fund um, nearly a year ago, 11 months ago, March 26, 2020, okay? Been trimming it a little bit as of December. I want to know what you're doing with that now because I think you represent many of our viewers who have bought into the ARC funds and who are sitting through some substantial declines now from all-time highs, the Innovation Fund, that's ARKK for those of you playing wherever you are today, is down 18%. What's the advice? So first, before I get into the advice, why did we buy it? And my partner Doug and I in 2019, we wanted to own a manager, an active manager 
that could buy the future Netflixes, the future Amazons, the future Apples. And we did a lot of due diligence and kept coming back to Kathy Wood. So we pulled the trigger on March 26th and took our initial position. And it did spectacular. Obviously, you know, between zero rates and COVID, those types of names, as you know, Satya Nadella said, we had two years of innovation in two months. Well, I think last year we probably had at least two years of returns. So we trimmed the position because it had become an outsized position in the portfolio on December 18th, and we added a small cap value. Now, what's interesting is year to date, it's had, to your point, an 18% sell-off, which puts it flat at the year. So once again, we still want to own these companies that are going to be the future Netflixes, the future Amazons. And I think all of the viewers have to remember, you know, in 2000 or 98, Amazon went from five to about 131, back down to $5. And when it went from 131 to five, the revenues actually doubled. Netflix has had very similar history in terms of a lot of volatility. But if I want to own these names for the next 5, 10, 20 years, I still think ARKK and Kathy Wood's team is the best place to do it. But right now, we have an undersized exposure, but I definitely wouldn't want to exit it because we will not be able to time the long-term tra trajectory, which we think is going to be exponentially higher. So what would make you add to it? Yeah, well, so I looked at, so yesterday I was looking at the technicals because if you go back a year, Actually, before yesterday, from what I saw, there had been three days of three days of outflows. That's it, right? And they've all been this year. And so there's a tremendous amount of what I call tourist capital in all of her funds, or you can call them paper hands. And tourist capital, I think that needs to right size itself. And right now, when you have this binary environment in stocks where you're either bond or anti-bond, that's gonna settle out. And once some of this tourist capital comes in, you know, ARKK, I guess, is around, I don't see the ticker, 131 right now. Yeah, you, you, know, you nailed it, it 131, the, exactly. Yeah, right? So, I mean, it's got a lot, like, in the hundred, low 100s. But we, we want to add to this, by the way. We are long-term believers. She has a five-year plan. And I think this tourist capital, a lot of it will come out. And we'll be buyers there because we do want to have a core holding to that. And we'll take advantage of it. Yeah. So, that brings me to you, uh, John Nigerian. So, you know, we've had some... Conversation here already about trimming positions and some high-flying names. You know, albeit Brins was back in December and she's standing pat and gave you a good uh, explanation as to why she's doing that. You bought calls yep. in the queues, okay, from the NASDAQ, NASDAQ 100, yesterday and again today. Can you tell me why? Yep. Sure, Scott. Um, this was, uh, for the NASDAQ, what we were anticipating when you and I talked back in December about why we were taking off so much stock and putting it into options. Uh, because not, not that we knew what the catalyst would be, we never really do. I think it was this rapid acceleration, of course, of the 10-year yield uh, to push all the way up over 150. Um, I didn't know that's what it would be. Again, you never really know. But as you saw that tech swoon, and yesterday, you know, we thought it more or less hit that cathartic sort of level where when you see a triple-digit drop in the NASDAQ day after day, you finally say, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger here, buy some Q calls. Again, you're defining your risk because you're in a call. You're not, I didn't buy the, the Q outright. I bought calls in the Qs. Yesterday, I was buying the 310s, Scott. Today, I was buying the 325s in March. 
Um, we see strong upside speculation coming back in to that index for the first time in weeks. And that's why I was doing it, Scott. I think we're going to see a, a lot of these stocks come back. But again, I'm sure there are a lot of very smart people watching the show uh, that basically run algorithms and so forth against uh, an acceleration of the type that we've just seen and saying, okay, back-tested, how much of a decline do we see if we see a 40 basis point move to the upside in the 10-year? And I think they've probably priced in this move now. And if it continues uh, and it becomes a 60 or 70 basis point move, then that's, you know, Katie bar the door. We're going to go down to a full 20% correction. Uh, but I don't think that's in the cards. I think the Fed will stand pat. And I think overall, you know, this 150, 155 level that we got to instead of year end in the first two months, that'll be a top for a while. Well, Josh, I mean, you know, what, what we got to 161 at one point yesterday in, in, in the 10 year. Um, mm -hmm. This is the relationship yep. that everybody's talking about and, and watching. You know, I love the stocks that I'm in. A lot of them make perfect sense for all the reasons that the ladies on the show that, I, that I, we've spoken to already have said. But I've got to watch rates. But I love those stocks. So what do I do? What do you tell people? So we've had a handful of these discussions with clients. But I mean, for the most part, I'm very embarrassed for a lot of the adults who should know better, who claim to be professionals, who have been running around for the last week screeching about uh, rates. Rates should be going up. The economy is growing, and we're out of the emergency phase. So I really don't understand what the problem is. In 2018, we had a little bit of a rate scare. It wasn't about the 10-year Treasury yield. It was about what they were doing with overnight rates at the Fed. Regardless, you had these unbelievable opportunities created in the greatest stocks ever known to mankind. Everything from Amazon to Microsoft to Apple were in somewhere between a 20 to 45% decline in a very short period of time. Apple's PE multiple actually got cut in half. The stock was down 36% peak to trough from September to December. And that was over rate fears. And the whole thing in hindsight looks absolutely absurd. Um, and now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the relative level of rates. I understand that last August we were at 0.5% on the 10-year. And now we're at 1.5. I understand that's a, a big move, relatively speaking. But on an absolute basis, the S&P is down less than 3% from an all-time record high. And, in, and, and the 10-year Treasury rate is below 2%. And there is no cur curve inversion. This is a steepening. So all across the yield curve, rates are higher. The 30-year, the 20-year, the 10, the 5, the 2. What do you want? Where should rates be? Let's say there is no Fed. Where would the natural level of rates be in an economy growing 6-ish percent this year, with earnings growing for the S&P 500, and with the economy reopening? So, so there's a lot of childish stuff being, being said, and I'm very embarrassed uh, for adults who know better. They're scaring people unnecessarily. And in the meanwhile, stocks are doing just fine. If you own the most speculative nonsense possible, at 100 times sales, yeah, there's an adjustment. That's why they call it the stock market. These aren't CDs from a bank. They move, grow up. So you don't think, Josh, that, you know, being concerned, I don't want to use necessarily, the, I don't think worried is maybe too strong about inflation, you know, 
you're, you, we're going to get a, a stimulus plan, and it may be as big as $1.9 trillion. I thought we wanted inflation. I thought we wanted inflation. We wanted, I thought the, we wanted people we, to we make wanted, more money. I, I'm saying we, as you know, sort of the, the, the greater everybody, the Fed, okay, the Fed, they want it on their terms. They don't want it to get oh, okay. out of control. Scott. They don't want it to Scott, get out of control or get too hot too fast. I, I agree. Nobody wants that. From 1954 to 1960, the 10-year Treasury yield doubled from 23 to 4.7%. In that time, the S&P 500 grew 207%. Is that possible? Can the 10-year Treasury yield double and the stock market triple? Yes, it is. And you know why that happened? Because the economy was coming out of an emergency, in that case, World War II and its aftermath, and growing again. 71 to 81, we had one crash in the middle of that period. Rates went parabolic, vertical, 6% to 14% on the 10-year. Stocks actually did 7.1% annually during that period. It's a pretty decent 113% return okay. for the S&P 500, while rates went vertical. So everyone needs to take a deep breath and stop giving in to the people who make a living by frightening them. Okay. Um, I'm glad you put it that way. And it makes a lot of sense. And you're not the only one who's saying that. In fact, yesterday, Rick Reeder of BlackRock was with us, manages, I don't know, however Rick many trillions, trillions mm -hmm. of dollars. And he also said the market's overreacting yep, to rates. Trill. Let's listen. We'll talk about it on the other side. There's this knee-jerk reaction that people have when they say rates go up and real rates go up. And I think if, if, you know, if people take time and think about where things like technology are and you think about where they were and where real rates were, you know, markets like to focus on rate of change, and uh, I think people are misinterpreting how much this move. This is I mean, it's a big move that happened so quickly, but boy, oh boy, real rates are still negative. There's only been one time in 21 years that they've been negative. I think it was it was in 2012, 13 for a brief period of time. These are pretty. We're still in pretty incredible times. So anyway, part of why I think perspective makes makes a difference. Yeah, yes, it does, Carrie. I'll distill it down to, for, for you from what Josh and Rick said. Get real. Right. That's the argument. Just get real. Stop overreacting to all this stuff. We're the, the economy is going to, you know, restart in a big way. There's a lot of pent up demand. There's a lot of good that's out there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And by the way, I definitely do not want Josh to be embarrassed for me. So I would say the following that a year ago, rates you, were about at this level. You too, Josh. So rates were about at this level. And the reason that rates fell so much was obviously the pandemic. As you said, we're up 100% on rates, but we didn't go from 4% to 8%. And when you think about what interest means, it's how much money people have to pay back on their mortgage, how much they have to pay back on their credit cards, what businesses borrow money at, and we are at very low rates. So it's the numbers and the absolute level that matter more than the percent change. Again, as Josh had pointed out, and with inflation, uh, if you listen carefully to what Jay Powell said, he made it clear, and we know that there's this transitional inflation. We've had inflation in housing prices, in things like heaters that go on your deck, uh, Peloton, prices of bicycles, prices of boats, the type of goods and services that people have needed during the pandemic have gone up in price and the cost of other things have gone down. 
I bet you can buy a really nice quality men's three-piece suit for a very good price right now. And same for expensive shoes and clothes for women because there hasn't been any demand. So we're going to move from these fears about, oh, my God, inflation and, oh, my God, interest rates to seeing what happens as the country gets vaccinated. That, by the way, does not mean that certain groups of stocks are not overpriced. And yes, they are overpriced. When you look at the companies that sell for 14 times sales, and I did a study of that last week. I wrote a piece uh, for the CNBC website. There were $5 trillion worth of stock in companies selling for 14 times sales, which means that the earnings level of that is probably, you know, 70 times, 100 times um, their, their EPS. And I picked 14 because Tesla's 14 times sales. That's probably a group that is vulnerable. It should be vulnerable because of the level of parabolic interest in those stocks. If you look at it, you know, one after the other, whether it's CrowdStrike or our Trade Desk or MongoDB, uh, CRISPR, great companies, great concepts, very expensive stocks. Twilio, a stock that we own, we've cut back several times because it moved from 74 to over 400. So you have to be careful with what you own. And the idea that you would say, oh, well, everything is expensive. Well, no. you know, that's not true. No, no one's saying you can, that. You, you can look at many stocks that are. Well, but yeah, I mean, some no people one, no are one, saying, no one's oh, saying that, but, but there may, But there may very well be a reckoning going on right now with sure. with those those highest right. of high flying stocks yeah right there should be yeah correct and there and there should be and we've seen them come down as as we mentioned between 15 and 30 percent but but you have to be careful saying oh let's let's say you know all of the fang stocks are too expensive if apple's come down 13 percent since its earnings and facebook is down um, most of the names of big tech which have reported have meet um, have beaten the earnings, beaten the revenue. They have not okay. raised guidance and the market has punished them. If that's so, the case, yeah, I mean, uh, I understand what you're saying. You're right. No, no, no. I'm coming back to you. You're right. The, the market has punished them. They've come down a, a, a bunch. A lot of those fang stocks have, in fact, done that. Apple this week to date's down 5%. Amazon's down the same. Microsoft, just about that. You recently trimmed Apple. I don't hear you telling me, though, that they've come down too much to, to the point where you're buying it back. No, but I, I think there's going to be a time in the near future where we will look to these and say, yes, we might buy some Facebook. I mean, we talked about buying. Oh, we actually are going to buy uh, some more Netflix because that's come down. If there, can I just have uh, Vin show the chart? We just looked at earnings of some of those stocks we've just talked about, how they had fantastic earnings, but the, but the stocks came down. It's because the market's saying, hey, we helped, we, last year, you had a great year. We bought your stock last year. You were COVID beneficiaries. This is a time of, yes, you know, we're going to let you absorb and grow into that price, but we're getting to that level. And I would suspect that people will begin to buy the large tech names if they don't move, if they continue to retreat, because those multiples are going to be market multiples uh, very shortly if they if they uh, come in anymore. And I think that that will be an opportunity to buy those names again. Well, we're going to see, Amy, if people step up and do that. Uh, everybody yeah. says, of course, you buy the dip. Of course. The stocks come down, you jump yeah. in and buy them. But I like to see I like to see when people actually put their pedal on the on the metal and they actually do that. You do have, according to Bank of America, their flow show, huge week of inflows into U.S. Yeah. equities. Uh, Amy, so, you know, people still want to be in this market. 
They still see a right. lot of upside. It's just a matter of how you're positioning yourself. Yeah, you have record inflows. And, and I want to agree with a lot of what Josh said about um, not scaring people. I don't, um, nobody on this panel, I think, wants to scare anybody. But I also agree that if the economy is growing about 6% and the numbers range, GDP growth from 5 to 7%, interest rates should be higher. Um, and for a lot of the justification last year with the rise in multiples was that interest rates are coming down. So as interest rates go up, especially for long-dated growth stocks, you're going to have potentially some multiple compression. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean that these aren't good, aren't good companies. But you could have that, and, and you probably will if interest rates continue to go up and follow economic growth, which seems to be what we're having. On the other side of that, you just have a wall of liquidity. I mean, you have some estimates between the Fed and the federal government, $10 trillion in stimulus in a relatively short period of time. And that money is trying to find places to go right now. And so, yes, you had record inflows into equity markets last week. You also, interestingly, have record um, selling from insiders via IPOs and SPACs and secondaries and other things like that. Insiders tend to sell when they think valuations are high, not low. So, you know, take that as a data point. But there's a lot, there's a lot of cross currents right now. Um, in the end, in the very, in the short term, relatively short term, I think interest rates are going higher. Um, I think 150 was the low last cycle. The fact that we sort of shot through that pretty quickly yesterday, and now we're, I expect to consolidate around the 150 level for a little while, and we'll see which way it breaks from here. But if economic growth is as strong as we expect, we think that those will go up. And again, not the end of the world, not trying to scare people, um, but some of the some of the froth and multiples will likely come down as, as rates go up. Um, so, and yeah, sorry. So, so Josh, you know, what was a, what was a no-brainer before is obviously more co uh, complicated now. Uh, I, I'm saying that in, in looking at a stock like, let's just take as an example, because a lot of people bought this stock, and people who are on the investment committee own this stock, maybe not today, but more broadly, Peloton. What was a no-brainer many months ago that said, of course you buy Peloton over a United Airlines, just picking that one out of a hat could be XYZ Airline, you get the picture, is not so easy anymore. It's a more complicated game. We're thinking about getting back and on with the rest of our lives, thank God. Um, we're also thinking about stocks that we love that have run up a lot, but that have come down a bunch lately. I could substitute something else for Peloton, and I could certainly substitute something else for United Airlines. How do you address that? So I had missed the entire run up in Peloton, so I have not been correct on that stock in particular. Um, it's 28% off its high, but in the context of what this stock has done, actually, it looks like a fairly mild pullback, right? Because it's been up so much and it made such an incredible run um, for really the last year, almost uninterrupted. Um, so if you were somebody that wanted to own Peloton and never did, I would argue that this looks like a viable pullback more than it looks like the end of the world. I don't want to be in Peloton because, as I've been talking about on the show, um, I do think there is a limit at which we will pay up and up and up for growth stocks. One of the things imposing that limit, by the way, is not the absolute level of, of, of valuation. I would argue most of the people buying Peloton don't even look at valuation anyway. It's not even an input. They look at uh, revenue growth forecasts 
and then those forecasts tick up and they and they buy. They don't even care. No, um, they look at T- one of the, they look one at total the limits being, market, right? Yeah, it's how many people it's have TAM. legs? Right. Tam, big Tam. Yeah, according to my according to according to my calculation, there are seven billion people on Earth, right? And they each have two legs, give or take. So there's 14 billion legs. Let's buy Peloton. Forget it, but you know I don't play that. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is one of the limits that's been imposed on the high growth, high momentum segment of the market is the sheer number of names you have to choose from. Peloton uh, was in a class of its own, like in the not too distant past, but now there are 500 different Pelotons. It's the Peloton of shopping. It's the Peloton of this, the Peloton of that. That's one of the things that we talked about on the show over and over again, is that this doesn't have to end with bad news. It ends with an excess of supply. Wall Street has gone out of its way to produce enough viable and tradable stories so that Peloton's just not that unique anymore as, as, a, as a growth story. That's one of the issues that we have right now. There was a 72-hour period earlier this month where we did 150 new SPAC issues. Ridiculous. It makes no sense. That's part <laughs> of the problem for these high-growth, high-multiple vanity stocks is that there are too many to choose from, and they can't all be worth what they were once worth. So um, I do think that's a consideration. I don't think that means necessarily terrible news for the Kathy Wood stocks or whatever. I just think it's something people should be aware of. We have a lot of supply in addition to insider selling. Yeah. Let me get through a few other interesting moves that you all are making before we take a break. Uh, Carrie, you sold Zoetis and Marsh McLennan. Tell us, because you talked about these stocks before. People may have followed you in. Now you're out. Why? Both of those we've owned for quite a while, and Zoetis had an amazing year last year because it was a beneficiary of all the people who bought pets. You know, it's a veterinary healthcare company and supply um, firm, and it was spun out of Pfizer. We've owned it uh, for many years, five years, and it's now a high multiple stock. I I realize that it's attractive, uh, that it continues to have steady growth. I see the reason why others might want to own it or hold it. But for us, it was just, you know, taking a spot that we felt we could otherwise place something with more opportunity over the next couple of years. Um, with Marsh Mac, another, you know, very strong name for us. It did exactly what we wanted last year. It was defensive. It still had a good year. It was benefiting from interest rates going up. It's not a bank. It's an insurance company, but it still got a boost. And we thought, you know, this is the right time to, um, to be selling it if we're going to own another financial you know, we should perhaps own something that was a little more rate sensitive, like American Express, uh, reopening business travel vacations. And that's what we traded that into. Bryn, you sold Alibaba. Yeah, I just I had enough. I think with the fake or the Jack Ma interview, um, the what's happening with the CCP in Hong Kong. I just I had enough of of of. Chinese Alibaba. And so I think there's so many other wonderful companies I want to own. Um, I want to own it where I see um, a good runway, where I can understand the earnings. And I just still feel like I have a lot of headwinds as it relates to a lot of Chinese stocks. And the Jack Ma thing just just put me over the edge. So I sold it. You sold Barrett Gold, too, uh, and the GLD. And, you know, we don't talk about gold a whole heck of a lot, but we do of late in the context of how much love Bitcoin is getting relative Mm -hmm. to gold. 
Yeah, no. So, so, you know, gold has actually a very high correlation, high negative correlation with real rates. And so as real rates, even though they're negative, they're rising. And as real rates rise, you know, gold has been like death by a thousand cuts. It's about a percent a day. I feel like it's been losing. And then Barrick is going to be an amplification of that. And so, you know, for GLD, you know, we sold GLD and we went into equities, right? So I think equities are going to outperform gold this year. I don't think that's a, a big statement. I think that with what's happening in the rate market, just real rates moving higher, that gold's still going to continue to have a headwind. And I also think to your point, you know, there's a whole constituency of millennials that are investing. They're excited about it. And I just don't think they're that interested in, in gold. I think they're much more interested in Bitcoin. Yeah. And All so right. it's another, another headwind as well. Okay. We'll get to some more moves uh, throughout the rest of our show. We'll bounce for a couple. We'll come back. Twitter shares up 40% this year. A new street high target is out now on the stock. We're going to debate that. It's our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The head of the CDC says that the recent decline in new COVID cases may be stalling. Dr. Walensky says that the trend is concerning. She says that now is not the time to relax COVID restrictions. The chancellor for New York City schools, Richard Carranza, says that he's stepping down, citing the heavy toll that COVID-19 has had on him. Carranza says that he has lost 11 family members and close friends to the pandemic. Misha Ross Porter will replace him. She will be the first black woman to lead the nation's largest public school district. And Myanmar's largest city police there advanced on a crowd of more than a thousand people demonstrating against the country's military coup. And in Florida, a display of golf and alligators apparently just getting along just fine. The PGA's WGC Workday Championship had some players getting a toothy stares as they lined up their shots. Scott, I, I would say that's par for the course in Florida, but that's still wild to see. That's a new level of concentration to be able to play in the midst of alligators. Way too close to the green for me, and there's no chance <laughs> I'm turning my back on the gator like that guy was as he was about to putt. Uh-uh. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. Rahel, thanks. Rahel that's, that's concentration. That's yeah. focus. <laughs> Seriously. Sure. All right, the investment committee, as I said, uh, has been making a lot of moves. Uh, John Ajarian, let's uh, let me go to you first because you have a bunch that you uh, you've been doing. You sold Walmart and Oracle. Talk to yeah, me. Yes, Scott. 
Well, um, Walmart, I just decided that I, I was not getting enough premium anymore, Scott. The volatility had come down to the point where it wasn't the cash cow that it had been leading up to this point. So I decided, you know what, between Walmart on this hand and Target, you know which one I'm going to pick, Scott. So I stuck with Target, exited Walmart. As far as uh, Oracle, I just thought that the move was pretty good and uh, that we made some nice bank on that and just thought I'd look for something with a little faster growth after that. So I uh, was trimming into the end of the month, and that's all it was. It's not that I don't believe in Oracle. It's just that, you know, the run had been good, and I figured maybe I'll get another chance to get it cheaper, Scott. What about the calls that you've now sold in Activision Blizzard, in Intel, in the Jets ETF, in Children's Place, United Natural Foods, and Unity Software, Zynga as well? Sure. Um, and uh, uh, most of those sales were trimming at the end of the month, Scott. Uh, but to not be too long winded, one of the reasons that I got out of Jets was I'd sold out of my United, sold out of American um, because I think they've had just phenomenal runs. And, you know, they usually don't uh, hold on to those runs for very long. So I thought I'd get out of both of those. That was a couple weeks ago. Now I'm out of the ETF that tracks those as well. So I don't have exposure in the airlines except through Sabre, which I still own, Scott. Gotcha. Amy, you bought more J.P. Morgan. You bought more Regeneron. Yeah, J.P. Morgan's the interest rate play um, that I talked about earlier. Regeneron is one of our favorite holdings right now. Um, we think the company is dramatically undervalued for the shots on goal that it has one of the best science-driven companies out there um, trading at 13 times. We think it's a great opportunity to get in right now. So, Josh, as long as, as you've got this question about where rates are going and assuming, let, let's just assume for the sake of this question, that they stay around where they are or perhaps even move a little bit higher, does the banks continue to work? under that scenario? Well, we, we don't think that um, overnight rates are going anywhere. So I think that answers your question. If banks are uh, borrowing for zero and lending for higher and higher rates, you know, within reason, uh, it stands to reason that earnings estimates should continue to rise and uh, banks should continue to find places they can put money, earn a return on that capital, and these stocks should look good. Um, they, you know, one of the big benefits, one of the they, they're benefiting from the fact that they've done nothing in so long uh, and expectations have been so low. So that's actually been another tailwind uh, to the bank story. So I'm long JP Morgan. I continue to uh, believe that it's the best possible way uh, to play rising rates for me because it's a mix of quality and upside. Um, and then I get interested in stuff like Square, Scott, which is not acting like a financial. Square is off uh, a quick 18 percent. That's a stock I feel like I've missed. And not just for the crypto angle, but just for the fact that that is the future of financial services. So I would try to play both sides. I would keep the banks. And then I would look at the PayPals and squares that have come down and ask myself, why not Barbell? Yeah, I mean, the, the square pullback off earnings, you know, Kramer was on with us the other day. He didn't like the quarter at all. And, and, and that's a very much loved stock, Josh. Yeah, I, I'm not in it, but I'm, now, it's, now it's on my radar because... I've always felt that I should have been in it, and I messed up. Um, so I, I think you might get an opportunity created there. But uh, PayPal, which I do own, also qu very quick pullback. Um, and it's possible that uh, growth is slowing at Square, like versus this time last year. It actually makes sense that it would be, 
and maybe that'll put even more pressure on the stock from here on out. But that's the type of name that I do believe is going to be at the center um, of the, the future of financial services. And so I got to get curious as those things pull back as quickly as they have. Yeah. You used to own uh, Twitter. John, you have Twitter calls. I bring it up today because you got a new street high price target now from Goldman Sachs. Uh, that today to one hundred and twelve dollars from seventy eight. So, John, take us through that. All right, Scott. Um, I loved the Investor Day comments, quite frankly, Scott, um, about how they're going to, granted, it's all the way out to 2023, and I don't know how anybody actually has uh, uh, much of a a predictive ability all the way that far out into the future, but they gave themselves a lot of runway to say, we're going to double up revenue. We're going to be over $7 billion in revenue. And obviously, Snapchat has really kind of eaten their lunch Um, And you look at the performance of Snap versus Twitter, it's just outstanding. Um, But Twitter uh, saying that they're going to do this, the uh, company saying that, hey, we've made hundreds of millions of acquisitions uh, of other companies. I think they said over 20 of those acquisitions, Scott, that they're going to be putting into things like fleets and all these other offerings. The last time they offered anything really was 280 characters instead of 140. So I think this is going to be something to watch from Dorsey and crew. And that's why I continue to hold it and actually have added to my option position in this one, Scott. Big mover up 45 percent year to date. We're only through the end of February. Up next, John's back with unusual activity. Plus, in celebration of Black History Month, we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is Courtney Gibson with her advice for the next generation. One piece of advice that I would give to the next generation of young black people in this country is to be unapologetically black. It is your superpower. It can be your superpower. It's up to you to use it. Ultimately, think big and focus, focus, focus. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Doc, back with you. Unusual, what you got? All right, Scott, you and I were just talking about Twitter, uh, and I said how Snap had been eating their lunch because they've got over 200 and some odd million uh, daily active users. Now take a look, Scott, at next week expiration, March 5th expiration. They're buying calls up at the 74 strike, Scott. That would be amazing to see it surge through that. Uh, right now, uh, they bought about 7,500 of these calls. I was back in Snap because of that. I'd already taken profits a few weeks ago. Got back in because of this buying, and I'll be in those probably for five or six days. Second one, Scott, take a look at what's going on right now in Zenga because I had, again, just exited a position in Zenga because of some nice performance. Now they're pulling me back in because they're buying the 1150 calls that expire March 12th. 
So you've got two weeks for these calls to be right. And this one's a lot closer to the money. Stock was, I think, about 1120 this morning. And they're buying the upside 1150 calls two weeks out. I'll probably be in them a week to 10 days. Scott. Okay, good stuff, John. Thank you. Up next, Ask Halftime. Send us your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, we're answering your questions now. First up, we have a question for Josh from one of his friends at Shake Shack. Danny asks, mm. well, first he says, happy birthday, Josh. There he is, Danny, as in Danny Meyer. Ooh. Has the stock market already priced in the next round of stimulus? And if so, how will it respond if that gets watered down? We're big fans of his. We send him a chicken sandwich with a candle in it. Josh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a that's amazing. I'm, I'm such a, a huge acolyte of uh, Danny and, and all his stuff on management and building an organization. And uh, I'm also a very wow, good Wow, man, customer. you are blushing big um, time. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I really am. You I really are. am. It's, it's, a little bit of, it's a little bit of pride, a little bit of embarrassment, a little hunger in the mix. I hear you. Um, I, I would just say this. <laughs> I would say this. I think that that question is one of the most consequential questions for 2000. Uh, 21, at least for the first half, because some of the biggest winners of the last few weeks have been in areas like uh, small cap value and cyclicals and stocks that really at this point are relying on a great deal of stimulus, not only to be announced, but to actually flow through uh, the real economy. So I would not say that we're overestimating the amount of stimulus, but I do believe if there's a significant decline in what actually ends up happening, there could be a little bit of a correction of these names. But again, we're in an economic recovery, so I would use that to my advantage. I'd probably be a buyer on the news um, when, when that disappointment actually happens. And I think Wall Street has a funny way of getting over that kind of disappointment quickly and then focusing on earnings growth. And you're getting earnings growth in these companies uh, this year, I, I very, very much believe. So that's how I would play that. All right, good stuff. Uh, thank you for the question, uh, Danny, as well. All right, a video question now for John. Let's listen. John O'Halloran, Cork, Ireland. Question is, Micron has had a good run, hold or sell? Thank you. Thank you for the question. All right, what is it? Buy or sell Micron, Doc? All right. Uh, yeah, John, you're in one of my favorite cities, Cork. Uh, I love uh, what Micron is getting as far as uh, demand for both DRAM, which prices are up anywhere from 5 to 15% already. I think they go higher than that. And uh, their other business, which was expected to be down uh, and is actually flat. So that's great news, John. I would hold this one, and I'd hold Western Digital as well. I think they both have fabulous upside. Okay. Bryn, Airbnb, what's your view? Yeah, well, Airbnb will definitely benefit from the reopening trade. And I think a lot of people maybe forget that in 2019, they actually bought the um, Hotels Tonight um, company for around 400 million. So not only will they benefit from people staying you know, in their, in their houses, but also from hotels through Hotels Tonight. So I think the best days are ahead of it. I would dollar cost average into it because it's up over 12%, I think, just today. Okay. Carrie Armando in Puerto Rico wants to know about Thermo Fisher. Armando, so Thermo Fisher, as you know, has come down recently, and that's just a function of one of these 
COVID helped stocks that had a great year last year. The stock was up 44%. They got $6 billion in revenue just through COVID vaccine, COVID development, COVID testing revenues. But this is going to be another excellent year. And I think the stock is attractive. It's 21 times earnings or slightly less, meaning it's less than a market multiple. And it's an entry point. Again, I might take it slow, but definitely I think uh, Thermo is a buy here. And happy birthday, Josh. <laughs> all right. Yes, from all of us. All right. We'll take another break. We'll come back. We still have final trades ahead. Talk about some other stocks, too. Got some big earnings next week. We're back in two minutes. Time for the futures outlook. Week ahead, we looked at a bullish copper trade earlier this week, but things changed pretty fast. And another trader has a different perspective heading into a new trading month next week. Scott Nations, tell us what you're seeing. Futures traders have been focused on industrial commodities, which have been screaming. Crude oil is now above its pre-COVID levels, but the real move has been in copper. Copper prices now at their highest level since 2011, and copper prices gained 20% in the month of February alone. We'll also get some market moving data for copper on Monday. The ticker symbol for copper futures is HG, and copper is priced in dollars and cents per pound. And at 25,000 pounds per futures contract, it's a big contract. Now, copper is now overbought, as you would expect, given that move. And I would like to be a seller of it. I'd like to be short while we normalize prices. I'd be a seller of the May contract at $4.25 a pound with a target of $4. We're always going to trade these with a stop, and my stop would be $4.35. At those levels, we're risking $2,500 to make $6,250. And now you know what I mean when I say it's a big contract. All right, we're going to see who's right. Thank you, Scott. We've got final trades coming up next. All right, it's time for final trades. Carrie, you're first. Remax is the largest public real estate brokerage company. Okay. Bryn? NVIDIA. NVIDIA. They had great earnings and the stock sold off. They're at the epicenter of all great technologies over the next five to ten years. Okay. Amy? Kate, uh, ticker KAI. We like this uh, $2 billion industrial, 90% market share in all the markets it competes in. Good long-term shareholder base and very strong growth in front of it. It would say, Okay, thank you. Uh, Josh, store capital must be yours. Yeah, good earnings last night. This is a reopening play, and I think the stock will head back to all-time highs over the course of this year. All right. Uh, everybody have a good weekend. Uh, we're going to watch the markets. So what a week, uh, especially for the NASDAQ, which right now is good for about 170 points, one and a third percent. That does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.